Welcome back to ARC, a Tolkien podcast. We're on episode 59 of our Lord of the Rings read-through, covering book six, chapter six, Many Partings. And we got a fun uh, episode today, Pip, because it's not just you and me. We oh, have, thank God. I know. Uh, <laughs> you could take a brief break from listening to my voice all the time. And instead, I got an uh, old friend of mine, Luke Chambers, is here. Hi, Luke. Hi, Charlie. Uh, so Luke Chambers, Luke, introduce yourself. You are you are a PhD candidate, but talk to me about uh, where you where you study, uh, what you study, what's your connection with Tolkien, all that good stuff. Well, uh, as you know, we went to Western Michigan together and got our uh, uh, master's degrees in uh, medieval studies. Yep. And I'm at. Uh, IU right now, Indiana University, studying English, medieval, medieval lit, and um, I'm focused on Middle English romances right now. But I have done a, quite a bit in, of Old English lit, and um, yeah, great, that's fantastic. Of course, Luke, what uh, talk to us about Tolkien a little bit? Um, we'll, we'll actually talk about this again later. But uh, I invite you off to this podcast for a reason, uh, and it's not just because you're a fan. <laughs> Luke, what's your what's your favorite episode of? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the go tre- into detail. It's it's okay. It's the treasured episode, definitely. Oh, good. But in all seriousness, you have you have written something. You've written something, and that's why we, we've brought you on, right? Right. Yeah. So I I wrote a paper recently on uh, ants in Middle-earth and their connection with the Old English word ent. Uh, and I'm getting, that's um, coming out in the new uh, edition of Tolkien Studies. I think that comes out in December, I believe. Oh, congratulations. You are way too so. modest. You didn't write a paper. You wrote an article. You have an article <laughs> that's going to be published in December in Tolkien Studies, a journal, big journal. Uh, that's yeah. incredible yeah so we have if a you published... want tolkien studies you go there <laughs> yeah exactly we have a published tolkien author then uh on the show so that's fantastic but you know we're going to talk about that article uh after we talk about the episode here and, and our thinking here is that quite frankly this chapter is pretty forgettable hmm. uh just is. <laughs> it kind of is <laughs> it kind of is and there's not that much to talk about so i thought this was perfect i'm going to have a guest on for this episode spiced up a little bit but let, let's knock out the chapter first because i don't think any of us have too much to say um, I'm going to start us off with a quick summary here. Uh, we begin in Gondor, and the party leaves Gondor, and first, oh, I guess I should clarify, the, by the party, I mean really kind of the Fellowship of the Rings, cut back together, and everybody's going to go from here and sort of go home. But they're all together at first, and they all together go through first uh, Gonberry Gon's forest, uh, another forgettable chapter, but <laughs> so they go there. They declare it independent, furthering Aragorn's agenda of peace that we talked about last episode. They go to Rohan and they bury Theoden and they announce to the Rohirrim the marriage of Faramir and Eowyn. They then go to Isengard and visit the Ents and they see it, the Ents have turned into a lake and a garden and all these things. And they've also let Saruman go. He was imprisoned in the tower, but they've let him go because Treebeard says he's not comfortable keeping living things captive. And Gandalf says, okay, I guess that's fair. And then the group, this is, uh, I believe when the group starts splitting up, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So from here... Gimli and Legolas will go up north east to their homes, making their way to their homes. Aragorn's going to go back south to Gondor. Gandalf, Frodo, the hobbits, 
will go northwest, they're joined by the elves from Lorien, at least Galadriel and Celeborn, some of the big big names from Lorien, will join them, and they're going to go up to Rivendell. So that's the target. We're going to go to Rivendell. They mm-hmm. go to uh, Rivendell, but on their way, they encounter Saruman on the road. Uh, he's been set free again, and he is he looks like an old beggar, an basically. Old yeah, um, and they even offer him help. They show pity, uh, but he rejects it and just says, screw you. And huh. so they say, okay, and they just leave him alone. Uh, he's still with Grima Wormtongue, who's just as pathetic. But yeah, they leave them alone, get off to Rivendell, where they do meet Bilbo. And they see Bilbo has aged significantly. And it's explained that this is because with the One Ring destroyed, much of its power is, is gone. And that was kind of lengthening Bilbo's years a little bit, right? So he is really out of it now and, and probably about to... Seems like he's about to pass away of old age, you know, pretty soon. The chapter ends with sort of an interesting, I don't know, foreshadowing... Uh, maybe a teaser of something to come where Elrond tells Frodo as he's about to leave for the sh- uh, Shire that uh, he's going to see him again in one year. He's going to come to the Shire with Bilbo and they're going to see him there for something special. So yeah, that's where we, that's where we end things. So yeah, that's a, yep. that's a weirdly enough, like a lot of events I just summarized for a chapter I described as forgettable, but it is kind of forgettable. It's just sort of these last goodbyes for all these characters, right? It's the last time yeah. you see Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn and, Galadriel, Elrond, well, not Elrond quite yet, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of wrapping that up, and there's just not much really there in terms of straight events. There's uh, maybe one more event of note is Arwen offers her spot. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, to, to Frodo um, as a gift. Let's, um, talk, let's talk about that, what we mean by spot, though. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, so Arwen offers Frodo her spot on a ship to valinor across the sea where elves Mm -hmm. have all been going she says frodo can have her spot that she's going to stay behind and choose to be mortal with her new husband aragorn so Mm -hmm. that's kind of sad it is noteworthy too i forgot because um i wanted to mention this i think last episode i mistakenly said arwen did not have any speaking parts in the book and i totally forgotten Mm -hmm. that she does she has this bit here so she does speak in this chapter um for whatever that's worth so I apologize. Now I have a question about that moment. Yeah. Uh, do you guys remember? It's been a few years since I've seen Return of the King, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, now, does she give Frodo a necklace like that or a pendant? Oh, she does. Um, don't not in the movie. So. No. no. Yeah, because she earlier in Fellowship she gives Aragorn uh, a little pendant, which seems a lot like the kind of pendant she gives Frodo here in the book. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some inspiration there for that for the creation of that artifact. Yeah, uh, for the film adaptation. Yeah, yeah. It, it just to clarify to anyone who's for some weird reason reading, listening to the podcast, not reading the book with us, uh, Arwen gives uh, Frodo, excuse me, a special pendant. That's what we're chatting about here. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mention right. that, but oh shoot, yeah, that's the symbol of her place um, on the ship. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, so yeah, it I tears off. There's like half of it that comes apart that Gandalf will like, you know, rip when you go to the. <laughs> there's like a little raffle when you get on the boat for who gets a, who gets some some apples. Yeah. Yep. You got to keep the stubs. Uh, they won't let you back <laughs> on the boat if you leave it. You got to keep it. You got to keep it. <laughs> um. Yeah. So anyway, I in terms of themes, I have a whopping zero things to say about this chapter i, I guess zero. at least i think so i mean they show pity to saruman so that's the importance of pity again but uh oh, oh that's kind of all oh. i got there are oh sorry okay, do, 
you, you go ahead. No, 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 you're the guest. You, I, I feel <laughs> good, sir. All right, so themes, Charlie. Themes, it talk is, to me, Luke. There is a thick, thick theme of, um, and it, it all has to do with Saruman. Now, you recall when they're, they're all, they're talking to him and everything, and he's all like, well, I hope this is the last time that you offer me, uh, help or whatever. Right. And then he points out to them that they've sort of dug a ditch to themselves, for themselves. And this is the moment when, uh, Caliborn and Gladriel are still there with Elrond and Gandalf. And okay. so, Saruman is alluding to, or maybe he directly says, um, that now with the destruction of the One Ring, their rings will fail as well. Mm-hmm. And so, there's, yeah, sure. the, the future for these people is just one of constant and, uh, inevitable decline from here on out. And yes. this, this is the chapter when that decline begins with Arwen choosing a mortal life mm-hmm. and, um, Choosing to, you know, grow old and die. And then Theoden dies, and they, they say goodbye, which over and over and over again, which is a sort of, you know, parting and death, and foreshadowing of the parting at the end of the book. And then the very end, you know, this strange little ending you mentioned, is, uh, Elrond says that, um, when the woods are, uh, golden again like this, look for me in the Shire with Bilbo, his, <laughs> We're heading out on our way to Bellingham. So, yeah, uh, many partings. Yeah, that's the, the title is the, the theme, and it's made necessary by the destruction of the ring. Yeah, absolutely. I that ties into my favorite line. So I'm going to go ahead and say my favorite line right now because that's just a perfect lead into it. I I like how that theme is drawn out in this one line where um, Gimli compares Arwen to Galadriel a little bit here. So he mm-hmm. he and Aomer are together. And they've in Rohan, and they and they see Rohan, right? No, they're in, excuse me, they're in Gondor at this point. Sorry, so they're in Gondor though, but they do see Galadriel and Arwen. And Aomer says, "Oh, Gimli." It turns out I don't think Galadriel is the most beautiful thing in the world. I think Arwen is. <laughs> Gimli says, "Oh, fair enough." Uh, but what he says here is, uh, "You have chosen the evening, but my love is given to the morning." Right. So I like this. Um, and then he says, in my heart forebodes that soon it will pass away forever. And I think that's a cool expression of this theme that you just talked about, Luke, that this is the beginning actually of a decline, even though they just won. And Gladio and Arwen represent that. Gladio represents the old generation of elves, the morning, and its time is about to end. And Arwen represents the evening. Um, she's going to give up immortality and she's going to introduce the world to evening time in a way. And that's not necessarily the worst thing. Let's remember last chapter when Frodo said that, you know, from here on out, night two shall be beautiful. There's just something beautiful about night and evening, but that is where we are. We're now entering the decline, as represented mm-hmm. by the elves, those two elves specifically. I love it. Yeah, actually, that was that was kind of the theme I, I picked out too. Um, maybe just a, another note is that you also have Bilbo, who, yes, uh, yeah, you know, which, in a lot of ways, depending on the reader, that might strike the hardest at. The reader's heart right because you know bilbo is an old friend both to the characters in the books and also to many young readers who you know like either had someone read it to them or read you know the the hobbit when they were young and the descriptions of bilbo are really visceral i guess in a way maybe visceral is not the right word but they're they're very powerful and i think part of the theme is that like i, I don't want to um reach out too far on a limb here but this 
you know, systems of power often are holding up things that are you like. And so, you know, the Galadriel is holding her kingdom together through the use of the ring, right? Um, which uh, she no longer can do, um, or is, you know, fading away. And Bilbo, uh, whom people like, will also was being kept alive through the power of the ring, right? Yeah. And so losing that, you also you lose other things. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I, I was lying when I said I didn't have a theme thing to pick up for this chapter. <laughs> But that is uh, you know, actually so, literally all I have. So at this point, I'm done. <laughs> I'm spent. Let's see. Let, let me check my notes real quick. Um, so real important question here. I'm glad we have a guest. Kelborn calls Treebeard eldest. So, I mean, does that sway our, our sides when we're debating between who's older Tom Bombadil <laughs> or, <laughs> or or Treebeard? Treebeard. Treebeard. Can you can you give us a definitive answer? Uh, oh, absolutely! <laughs> I have the answer. Um, okay. No, thank goodness. No. no, I'm sorry. That's uh, that's a debate I've never heard solved um, exactly. Uh, but I tend to reconcile the problem between Tom Bombadil and Treebeard. Which one's the eldest, or the oldest, or the mm-hmm. elder, or whatever? I tend to reconcile that by thinking of Bombadil is not really aging, uh, whereas Treebeard ages with the world. Um, oh, that's clever. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I remember okay. back, way back, Pip, when you and I talked about it in book one, in one of the episodes there, I think the solution I proposed was that Bombadil is just not really living. Mm. And I think there's kind of a potential connection there. Sure. Um, yeah. But I like this. Like he doesn't age, right? You can't be older if you're not actually aging. And those two things yeah. could be related. Yeah. And those are the big two themes of this chapter was the, you know, um, things, all things ending and who is older, Tom Bombadil or yeah. Treebeard. Yeah. So we covered it. <laughs> <laughs> and those two things were equal footing, on equal footing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could have done them in any order, but, you know. Yeah. Luke, do you have anything else you need to say about the chapter? Oh, there, there's one other scene that's always stuck out to me. Yeah, and, talk to us. Uh, that's the one where Celeborn and Galadriel and Gandalf and Elrond are described as um, speaking to each other without their mouths, or not with mouth, but mm-hmm. with um, looking from mind to mind, and only their shining eyes stirred and kindled as their thoughts went to and fro. Hmm. Uh, that, and it, Tolkien says someone who came by then and didn't know them or didn't know what was going on would see uh, them as if they were stone statues or something like that. Um, mm. And that scene uh, has stuck with me ever since the first time I read it. And it always made me wonder exactly why it's in the chapter, exactly what kind of communication Tolkien's talking about. But mm. my best idea about that so far is that his idea is that they're speaking to each other in a sort of pure language that's not uh, mediated through uh, a lingua, so to speak. Um, It's a a pure communication without words. Um, And I'm not sure why it's possible. Uh, Perhaps because they're rings, but Celeborn seems to participate in it too. Perhaps because they're elvish? And Gandalf is, of course, something yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, how is that possible? But it's huge to me. Yeah, it's, it's like a kind of communication. That 
it's purely the, the signified, I guess, no more signifiers. And how did, how can they pull that off when the rings, even if it is through the rings, well, the one ring's destroyed now, and those rings are should be powerless. I think they're they're. I've always read it as them fading, losing power quickly. They're fading, the okay. But then, of course, as Luke said, the the Kelleborn thing doesn't really explain that. Um, I do yeah. also really like this description. To me, there are two kind of um, important pieces about this passage. One is that just writing style wise, um, I think it's always really powerful whenever Tolkien has used the counterfactual for um, describing things. So as if someone had seen them, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. This is what they would have seen or, you know, would not have been able to perceive. Um, You know, it kind of gives like these, I don't know. It's like a little adornment of a narrative that could have happened, but didn't. And and I think he just, whenever he uses it, it's really well done. And then the second thing is symbol wise. I, I could, I could understand somebody seeing this as um, these representations of larger themes interact, like being able to interact with each other, but not in yeah. a way that, you know, we could perceive. So if we are, talking about um things that still exist and perhaps we ourselves are like there are things there are gandalf like you know um representations out there in the world or archetypes right that we that are if we you know walk by them they are they're interacting with the other archetypes but we don't necessarily perceive that yeah hey i do so one thing just came to you at this chapter that is kind of silly but i just want to put it out there this idea that they have to go home by going back to all the places they visited on their journey Mm-hmm. Did you even notice? I mean, it gets as close as Moria in a way. The only place they really don't go to is Lorien. But even Moria, they at least go close to the gates. Like they, Tolkien at least points out that the gates are close to where they are at one point. So you do get Rivendell, kind of Moria a little bit, uh, Rohan, Isengard, Gombari Gons Forest, like Gondor, <laughs> a lot of stuff. It reminds me of the, the, the a couple like video games, which I, I know was, was silly. But, I thought the exact same thing earlier today. Yeah, isn't it? I so the I know exact same thing. Dragon Quest One, I know, did this way back on the NES. The first Dragon Quest game did that, where you had to walk back after you beat the game, and you had to like walk back to the starting castle. I think it was, and then maybe other Dragon Quest games do that too. Actually, I never could beat those things because they are eighty hours long or some nonsense, and I don't have time. But uh, I know Dragon Quest did it. I know Earthbound on the Super Nintendo did that. Um, which is kind of fun. Super Mario World, the credits, you are walking backwards through the uh, different zones. Different, yeah. Oh, yeah. And obviously, I'm not saying uh, Tolkien's <laughs> influenced by them. Uh, <laughs> Tolkien but, played a lot of video games. <laughs> but I, I, I do think it's, uh, to me, it makes me wonder if the influence is going the other way, right? I do, given how influential Tolkien is on the fantasy genre, at least in those RPG examples I just uh, listed, which are inspired by tabletop rpgs like dungeons and dragons right which are in turn inspired by tolkien i wonder if that's mm-hmm. an element that has come down through the ages in a way that i mean i think i don't know if anyone would notice it much anymore right like i don't think anyone would play an rpg video game now and see that and think tolkien right. but um i think i i don't know i wonder i wonder if the connection is there well yeah. uh shall we shall we move on to the more the uh what, what do they call it the uh What's the thing where a, a band, the band that you're actually here to see? <laughs> the headliner? <laughs> oh, the, yeah, the, the headliner. The yes. comes out first, right? Um, yeah. Let's get to the main event. Sure. <laughs> All right. Um, wait, did we have any favorite lines? I read mine, but we got to say favorite lines first. Before oh, we go. mine were, my, the, the part where they're talking without moving their mouths is uh, 
um, okay. the most memorable part of the chapter. Great. What about you, Pip? For me, um, it's a description of Bilbo, and here it is. First of all, before they had eaten or washed or even shed their cloaks, the hobbits went in search of Bilbo. They found him all alone in his little room. It was littered with papers and pens and pencils, but Bilbo was sitting in a chair before a small bright fire. He looked very old, but peaceful and sleepy. And just feels, for the first time in a long time, it feels hobbit-like. Like Not necessarily the book The Hobbit, but it's just, oh yeah, we had the grandeur of, of Gondor, and now we're, oh yes. There's a little room somewhere in Rivendell, and it's got a hobbit in it. And this is, they're peaceful and sleepy. So I like it. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up for the chapter then. Um, now this chapter features some Ents, so it's the perfect segue into talking about Luke's upcoming article uh, about Ents. So Luke, take it away. Um, feel free. I don't know how much you can talk. I don't know what the policy is. Are you under any kind of... The non-disclosure thing, agreement about this uh, article, or did what? NPR contact you and tell you? Not to... <laughs> to to an extent, it's not like I can just read through my whole paper here. Okay, uh, but I can talk about stuff for sure. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um. So the the paper's title is "Enter Your Work and the Work Events" or something like that. That wait uh, was, was that first word? Was that Old English? Yes. Those okay. first two words were Old English. Oh, those two words, gotcha. And um, it means Ents, Ents work in Old English. Mm. And, okay. And the work of Ents as in both of those. So my goal with this paper was to uh, explain a little more of the connection between Old English Ent and Tolkien's idea of Ents. And um, this is something I noticed way back uh, with the first class I took with Dr. Shulman, Charlie, you'll recall. Oh, yeah. uh, the first Old English class I took with her, I started to notice the word Ent popping up. Um, I forget what poem it was in first, but... And then I was like, oh, I didn't know that was an Old English word, but it is. It's definitely and in Beowulf, at least. Absolutely, like four yeah. times, three or four times. Um, maybe every time in the phrase Ent um in Beowulf. Okay. Um, so, the the deal is, I mean, everyone who's studied Old English or Tolkien has noticed that, yes, it's an Old English word. And Tom Shippey, a long time ago, um, Tom Shippey's a noted Tolkien scholar, among other things. Mm -hmm. um, and he noticed a long time ago, there's a poem called Maxims, Maxims 2, mm -hmm. in Old English, that has a line, Or tank Enter you out. And that, of course, is Orthanc Entwerp. Entwerp. And, um, so he's like, well, Tolkien got the idea for Orthanc from that line of that poem. And the line of the poem means the cunning work of Ents, because Orthanc in Old English means cunning. Um, but got Tolkien it. thought, well, you put a capital O on the front of that and you've got a name. And so now work your war can also mean fortress, as in uh, something builds up, right? So it could be Orthanc, the fortress of the Ents. So, so Shippy noticed that um, decades ago in one mm -hmm. of his first books on Tolkien. Yeah, I think that's and, in the road to Middle Earth, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think that's the first first place he published 
bad idea. Yeah. Um, but there's there's only ten poetic mentions of ants overall, mm-hmm. and eight of those ten are in the phrase "enter your" or something like mm-hmm. "enter your." And I found three other poetic references to ants, which I think have a close connection to um, Tolkien, to Tolkien's ants. So, um, but before I get to those, I'd like to give you a passage from our chapter in okay. Tolkien, if I may. Yeah, please. Okay. Oh. This is page 956 in the version I have, the Hoffman Mifflin edition I have. Mm-hmm. From Deeping Coombe they rode to Isengard and saw how the Ents had busied themselves. All the stone circles had been thrown down and removed, and the land within was made into a garden filled with orchards and trees, and a stream ran through it, but in the midst of it, uh, but in the midst of all, there was a lake of clear water, and out of it the tower of Orthanc rose, tall and impregnable and its black rock was mirrored in the pool. For a while the travelers sat there once the old gates of Isengard had stood, and there were now two tall trees like sentinels at the beginning of a green-bordered path that ran towards Orthanc. And they looked in wonder at the work that had been done, but no living thing could they see far or near. So, in the last line of that quote, you may have heard the word work. Uh, and it, what they did was ent work. When right. reverting Isengard from its super industrial, uh, Suramin, uh, kind of complex into this idyllic garden full of growing things and water. So that seems to be the type of work they do in the Lord of the Rings. Right. They don't build anything. They revert things to their natural form. So, this idea that Ents are somehow builders in stone in Old English, and that makes them suitable to be destroyers of stone in Tolkien books, that doesn't... Okay. We need to bridge that gap somehow. Because in Old English, they build things. In Old English, the, the buildings that are standing in ruins are called Entewerk. Okay. Uh, you can also have helmets that are called Entewerk, but we're going to focus on the buildings. Sure. Um, so, and then there's some translations of the Bible and of other things that make like the builders of the Tower of Babel into Ents. Hmm. Um, and so Ents were these kind of demigodish giants who built things in Old English. But in Tolkien, of course, they don't build anything. Ent houses are kind of naturalistic caverns. What they do to Isengard is basically the opposite of building. They revert right. it back to nature. So, I wanted to find a way to connect these two ideas. And there's three poetic passages from a poem called The Ruin, from a poem called Andreas, and from a poem called Elena. And all three of these have, uh, I think, had 
great influence on what ends were in the Lord of the Rings. So, may I read some old English, Charlie? Please do. All right. So, we're going to start with the ruin. Ratlich, is this Werstan, Weird Yabrakan, Bergstedda Burstin, Rosnaf, Enta Yuel. Which, of course, means this. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> this wall stone is wondrous. The course of events broke them, toppled the city place, and the work of Ents is decaying. Now, to interpret that as the work of Ents ruins, as in the work of Ents ruins all of these uh, city walls, all you have to do is add a definition of the verb Rosnap, which is transitive instead of intransitive. So, it seems to have only had an intransitive sense in Old English, as in the work of Ents is decaying, instead of the work of Ents decays the walls. Okay. So, what I think Tolkien did was invent a transitive sense of Brosnav mm -hmm. and applied it to the walls. And so now the Ents were tearing down the walls instead of building the walls. And okay, yeah. the Ent work was the ruination of the walls instead of the ruins themselves. But, but there's nothing in the original English that would lead Tolkien to this? I mean, did he sort of just kind of make that up on a whim? The, I, think a he made it, I think um, he had sort of a uh, a creative reinterpretation of the old mm -hmm. English. Um, he Got did it. not think that this interpretation could be sustained uh, given the other instances of the word ent in like throws mm -hmm. and things. Um, throws passages, for instance. Okay. And so these other two passages that I'd like to offer you mm -hmm. um, can be reinterpreted in slightly different ways as well. So um, the ruin was the one about the decaying walls. Now we have one uh, called Andreas about the Apostle Andrew, who's being held by cannibals, of course, um, okay. like is in the Bible. And <laughs> uh, he's, he's tied up, and uh, there's a great storm coming to save him. Uh, well, it's part of the city. But anyway, um, for this one, I'll just stick with the English because it's a little longer, modern English. Okay. Um, so Andrew is the subject here. He saw by the wall huge stone... Uh, he, he saw by the wall huge columns marvelously fixed in the hall, standing pillars beaten by storm. The old work of Ents. So, the way the grammar works in the Old English, the old work of Ents has to be referring to the standing pillars. Okay. But, if you add a couple of E's in there that the scribe could have left out, then it would be referring to the driving storm instead of the pillars. So the old the work of Ents would be the driving storm, and so you may recall from uh, the Two Towers, Chapter Nine, Book Three, 
um, where Pippin's describing the Ents attacking Isengard, and he describes them uh, as uh, fearsome, as storming like a howling gale, breaking mm-hmm. pillars. So I think um, Andreas probably inspired that passage. And once again, uh, this, you may ask, Charlie, is that a viable interpretation of the poem? It's absolutely not. If you mm-hmm. add those extra letters, it breaks the meter. Um, and so Tolkien would have known that, of course. Uh, and yeah. But, you know, he's not going to use it in his scholarship. He's going to use it in his, in, uh, in his uh, fantasy. Yeah. And that's still really, I mean, that's really cool, especially the E's fix the meter. That's interesting. They uh, break the meter. Oh, okay, got it. They, but, yeah, that's why the the uh, the like faulty... would do. They break stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they break the meter. Okay. It's but it's yeah. still interesting that you know th- th- this. You know, I, I'll bet most of us reading the end work me- mentions in the old English corpus probably wouldn't really zero in on that parallel between the ends destroying Isengard and ent work always decaying itself right you know i don't know i think that's really cool uh i would not have ever like thought about it in that way yeah i would i would have gotten stuck on the how ent work has to be stonework and stuff right yeah now. yeah yeah it's it's a it's kind of connected with um the fact that treebeard ages in a way because ents are not immortal the way elves are they're not immortal the way tom bombadil is Mm-hmm. They're mortals ish. They they certainly live an indefinite amount of time, but they they age and change with the world, right. and that's what their work is too. It's a reversion due to the the rolling wheel of time. It it reverts things back to a natural state, hmm. um, so to speak. Yeah. Wow, that's excellent. Um, Luke, is there a how would one Let's say somebody outside the um, uh, academia. How would we find and read your article when it comes out? <laughs> um, well, you can get electronic editions of Tolkien Studies from their website. Uh, I but I mean, for them. like our, our listeners, like where what would we search to to get the journal or the right? Uh... Well, just search for Tolkien Studies and uh, their newest edition, uh, this year's edition. I don't think it's published yet, but. Um, yeah, you, you should be able to find my article if you just search for Ents um, in it. Or, and uh, and your full name, for, for again, for oh. our listeners? Luke Chambers. All right, Excellent. yeah, Luke uh, Chambers. So that comes out December, you think, right? I think. <laughs> you think. How, how often does Tolkien Studies publish? Annually, I believe. Just annually. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, walk us through the process here a little bit. I mean, you've had, I feel like you were writing about this kind of stuff a long time ago. <laughs> I, I mean, you and I were in grad school together. That, that was a while ago. That was a while ago, a few years at least. How long has this been in the works? What was the process like? How did you get, how did you get in this journal? Well, um, when I started studying old English mm-hmm. and medieval literature in general, um, all, all the time, I kept coming across things, and I'm like, oh, Tolkien took that. <laughs> or, oh, that's a little like uh, Tolkien, and uh, that's a little like the children of Hurin. Or, oh, that's like 
that's like Baron and Luthien or something like that. And mm. so I would keep track of my ideas and the connections I saw with Tolkien. And um, I didn't really do it a whole lot with it, um, most of the ideas anyway, until I uh, took a lexicography class in 2018. And um, lexicography is uh, dictionary writing. Uh, but uh, so for the class, the, the assignment was to write a note, which is um, a shorter sort of essay, under 10 pages, usually more like five pages, five, mm-hmm. uh, five or so. And um, so it was to write a note that was in some way a lexicography note. And so I wanted to write a note on the word ent. And I did. And uh, my professor, um, Dr. Adams, down here at IU, was like, oh, that's great. Um, and he was encouraging everyone to find a venue to try to get their notes published. So I sent mine off to Tolkien Studies, you know, via email. Uh, and they looked at it. And one reviewer was like, oh, that's very interesting. It needs some work. And another reviewer was like, oh, it's pretty interesting. It needs some work. <laughs> and the last reviewer was like, eh, if he wants to do a whole lot more work, maybe, but as it is, no. <laughs> so basically what they wanted me to do was turn it into a full-length um, essay. Okay. And so what that involved was doing research in the um, History of Middle-Earth books. The uh, I don't know how many volumes there are now, like 11 or 13. Um, but it, it's the books that Christopher Tolkien has put together out of the manuscripts of all of his father's writings. So um, there's like The War of the Ring, The Treason of Isengard, The Shadow Returns. Those are the books that deal with early drafts of Tolkien's um, Lord of the Rings writing. Mm-hmm. And so I had to do a lot of research in there to see how he actually developed the Ents uh, in his drafting. And I didn't go into that um, on the podcast here because it's kind of complicated and everything. But um, so anyway, I developed the paper up into a full-length essay and um, sent it off, and they accepted it with revisions and so forth. And, uh, yeah. you got to revise over and over again with this kind of thing. Then you get the proofs, which are exciting, because they look like they're uh, pages in a journal, right? right? And they're like, okay, now we're not going to change anything big, but check it over for little things. Okay. So then you got to re- you got to review the proofs, and I I found four four mistakes I'd made in citations and quotations, mm. um, which uh, is probably not the total number there are. So <laughs> <laughs> please forgive me, anyone who's ever going to read my paper for the mistakes that are in it. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, it should be coming out, I think, in December. That's great, and just to give some context to how cool I think this is. I mean, here's some, I'm, I'm looking right now at the table of contents for Tolkien Studies, Volume 15, 2018. And you have authors like Jane Chance are in yep. there, Stuart D. Lee, John Ratliff. These are some pretty big names. So that's really cool. Uh, what a cool podcast we have with the, these celebrities on our. <laughs> oh, I know, right? <laughs> it, please, let's remember that this is the content NPR didn't want you to hear. That's right. <laughs> They're trying to cover it up, but you know what? We said we can't do that. They tried to uh, shut you down. Let's bring Luke on. Have him tell us the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Luke, thank you so much 
for coming on. Uh, this is fantastic. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. fortuitous that uh, you came on for this chapter. I think it worked out really well, right? As opposed to, you know, if I had you on earlier, say back in Two Towers, we wouldn't have had the whole Ent story arc uh, finished yet. And so I think it's really appropriate. It was this episode. I think it worked out really well. Is it yeah. you catastrophic? I, sure. yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> Uh, um all right so thank you again luke um next episode we have book six chapter seven homeward bound yeah look forward to it no special guest for that one sorry all just uh back to me and pep uh but it's gonna be great we will see you all then